All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that now. Y'all got to sleep in. Y'all have more energy. Come on. Good morning. Hey, there we go. Come on now. Hey, my name's Clay. If I hadn't met you yet, I'm our Connect and Serve Director here. And uh, from our team to you, whether you've been here uh, for your whole life or whether this is your first Sunday here, we're glad you're here. We hope you felt welcome on the way in. And uh, we are so excited to have you here. We had an amazing day yesterday. If you didn't hear about it, if you hadn't seen social media, we participated in National Serve Day yesterday as a church where we got to partner with hundreds of churches all over the world getting out and serving our community. You can see the stats on the screen there. I mean, we gave out 330 bottles of water on Navarre Beach, and we just, we, we provided free laundry for people. I mean, we had teams all over the place. We had 90 volunteers serving in Gulf Breeze and Navarre and Pensacola, just finding ways to love people, right? To live into our mission, to love God, to love our neighbor, and to connect people to Jesus. And it's amazing. And uh, from what I heard earlier today, or maybe this service, I don't know, there were people who were showing up today. So if this is your first time here and you came because we were out serving yesterday, man, thank you. Thank you for being here. We're so glad you're here. I've heard stories of that already. And um, But man, just give it up for our volunteers yesterday. Just out loving people. It's, it's special to be a part of a church that's not just about, hey, you guys come in, but we want to get out. We want to get out and love people well. And so uh, it's going to be a great service today. We've got a new sermon series all on, about the book of James. So if you love practical faith, this is the series for you. But as we move into worship, before we dive in today, I invite you to stand with me and we're going to prepare our hearts for worship and God's word by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for the sunshine. God, we thank you for just a new day. God, a new day to experience you. As it says in your word, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. So God, no matter what happened yesterday, no matter what happened this week, no matter the burdens we may carry, God, we know that there is something new for us today, God, that you are the same yesterday and today and forever, God, and that you love us uh, more than we could ever imagine. So God, we lean into that today. God, we, we accept that today, God. And I pray that as we worship, Lord, that you would just show up, God, as it says in your word, that you inhabit the praises of your people, God. So let us experience a, a fresh anointing of your presence today, God. Let us experience uh, your love and, and really feel your presence in this place today, God, as we worship you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're gonna start off this morning with a hymn. So let's just lift our voices to the Lord today. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our soul shall rise to Thee, holy, holy. 
up our praise to you this morning. We thank you that you are the overcomer today. We can overcome through Jesus Christ in you. Now the darkness fades into new beginning as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. All creation waits with an expectation i mm-hmm. 
I know that we often do not feel, how many of you sometimes just wake up and you're like, I am not feeling like much of an overcomer today. (laughs) I think if we were honest at some point or another in our lives, we all face seasons that are like that. Um, We only have strength because of Christ. The scripture that says that we are more than conquerors. It's only because we are in Christ Jesus that we have that strength. And so darkness, depression, fear, anxiety, all of those things that sometimes uh, tend to just haunt us, uh, we can only overcome those things in Christ Jesus. And uh, in John 16, I love this, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Somebody say, I will have trouble. Yep. But take heart. Now say, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And the part that I want you to grab a hold of this morning are those two little words that mean so much. Take heart. Take heart. Remember where you came from. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember all the blessings. It's so easy for us to get uh, focused in on all those things that aren't going our way and the prayers that are unanswered. When God has blessed us time and time again, He continues to pour out His faithfulness. So we're going to sing this song called Gratitude. It's such a beautiful song. It's in the moments that we just need to pour out our heart to the Lord and say, God, I know right now it doesn't look amazing, but I trust you, I believe in you, and I know that you're gonna be faithful. Amen, let's continue to worship him today.
up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lines Get up and praise the Lord Oh my soul So come on my soul Oh don't you get shy on me Lift up your song
Father, we just take a minute and God, just say thank you for this time we have together. Thank you so much for how clear you are in so many things, especially in your word that gives us what we need when we need it. Thank you for being with us, God, that we can trust that you're here. You're not distant. You're not dormant. You're active. You're present. You're here. Jesus, you made that way possible um, through your sacrifice, through your power and resurrection. And we sing this morning to a risen, alive, present Savior. And that can change everything. That does change everything for us. So thank you just for the time that we have, the freedom that, that we have to gather here, Jesus, in your name. Just believe that without you, we've got, we've got nothing. But with you, we have more than we could even imagine. And so thank you for just the reminder of that, that, that in the midst of our struggles and our trials, um, we can have heart because of all that you've done because of your love for us and God and your power and your majesty and your glory, you still, you care for us individually. You know us inside and out. There's nothing that we can do that can surprise you or shock you that you didn't see coming, but we can run to you. We can have comfort in you. We can know that you're here with us and we're super, super thankful for that. So thank you for this time. Thank you for each and every voice here. As we use it to encourage one another to know that we are not alone. We love you so much. We thank you so much. And we pray all this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Can we lift a shout of praise for the Lord this morning, church? Amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, that's an honor to us just that we can gather together. Love starting our time in a time of song like that and praise. So uh, we're gonna continue on. But uh, before you sit down, if you would, just say hello to somebody around you. Welcome them to CLC and we'll continue on.
Well, good morning. I hope everyone is doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this at the moment not raining Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Yay! <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I should have cut the grass today. This is like the only chance we've had. But I, I do want to welcome you, whether you're joining us in person or joining us online. Um, it is an honor to have this time to spend with you today. My name is Scott Verno, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and, and we just so appreciate these moments together. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so if there is anything that we can do to stand alongside you in this crazy journey of life, please, please, please give us the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, once again, that's, that's what we're here for, so, so I hope that you'd allow us to do it. We're not going to be a, ch- a church that's perfect in every scenario, but hopefully we're getting better. Amen? And you guys are so awesome. So um, for those of you who aren't normally here, maybe today's your first, your first day, I am, uh, it's been three weeks since I've been in the pulpit. And uh, if we were at Celebrate Recovery, I would introduce myself by saying, my name is Scott, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I am in recovery for anxiety. I just want you to know anxiety has been everywhere over the last three weeks because I'm a person of routine. I'm obsessive compulsive, but I'm also ADHD. So like put all that together and blend it up. I'm glad to be back on this stage today uh, in some sort of routine going, oh. That said, I'm going to chase and catch every squirrel that runs through this building today. But, um, but thank you for, for being here today. I got a, a couple quick announcements, but um, I, I did hear there's a little rumor that um, Gulf Breeze Jiu-Jitsu is here today. Did I hear that? Are y'all here? Chico, you here? All right. And, and so they're, they're here. We're going to bless their students after the service because they've got like the, the nation's largest competition coming up. And so they gave the kids the opportunity to come in here and to be prayed over. So there are 20 Jiu-Jitsu students in children's ministry today. We should probably pray for the teachers, right? Like <laughs> it's the most exciting preschool ever. But, uh, but anyways, that's, that's so cool. So glad you guys are here and I'm um, looking forward to that. Uh, so a couple quick announcements. Man, it's so exciting as we're moving towards August, getting ready for what we would call launch. But apparently, as I look around, we've already launched. Um, you guys have already all landed. But um, coming up on August 1st through the 3rd, if you have 6th through 12th graders living in your house um, you do not want them to miss this opportunity. We have what's called the Youth Endless Summer, and it's three days full of all sorts of fun, whether it's water games outside, it could be laser tag inside, they're going to do this giant life-size board game thing. Um, we want them to get to know other friends and students before they ever land back in school. So if you have students that are starting going in the school system, sign them up, get them over here, let them meet some other friends that we'll identify with. They're going through this battle of the faith and uh, they can just connect. And so you can do that using the QR code that's on the left on the seat in front of you or the one that's online. That's August 1st through the 3rd. And then tonight, this is one of the coolest services ever of the year. We have our children's beach baptism bash. We have 40 children that are registered to be baptized tonight. 40. So you, you may say, Scott, what does that mean? That means that there were 40 children, not all of them, but many of them are responding to the gospel message that they heard at Vacation Bible School, had the conversation and, they, and they're ready to be baptized. And so we're going to gather together on Navarre Beach tonight at 630. Anybody can come, come join us for that. We'll eat around 630, have fun, get to know some folks, and then we'll start chunking and dunking at seven o'clock. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. Uh, here, this is the crazy part. We had some new folks that just came and visited with us at the last service. And they're like, you know what? I've never been baptized. Can I be baptized? I'm like, you're like in your 30s. Children's Beach Baptist, and they're like, I'll wait till it's over. I'm like, game, I will dunk you anytime. So 
If you've not been baptized and you want to be baptized, come on tonight. Watch us do all of that and then get in line. I tell you, there are always people on the beach that respond and want to do that very same thing. Just show up and just come down to the water and, uh, and we'll connect you through, through the water baptism. Um, love, love, love that service. And then last but not least, and this one pay attention to because it's going to be a big shift. Um, our fall launch is actually on August 6th. So that's when we kind of start our fall programming. On, fall, uh, on August 6th, service times will be changing we will move to have three full services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So service times will shift around a little bit. Um, and I think there's a, there's a part of us, it's, it's like, what do you think is going to happen? I have no idea because everybody kind of settles out. But, but our initial thought is everybody's probably going to try and come to 10 o'clock. And then you're going to realize, oops, that was a mistake. And then you're going to try and go to the, the two edges. And, and we would encourage you, if you can, you guys are later, so maybe you'll go to the later one, um, go in after the rush at the restaurant. Um, try to move to those bookends. And, and so we can try and spread the crowd out a little bit. Uh, it's just been awesome, the growth that we've been experiencing. So we're going to go three services wide. All three services will be exactly the same, with one exception. Youth ministry, middle school and high school will be in both of the last two services. And so if you have middle school or high school students, is that, students that will be the 10 o'clock service or the 1130 service, you want to focus there. But if you have youngers and you want to come earlier, come on to that 830 service. Just looking forward to that. The team has been working really, really hard trying to get all the volunteers and everybody in place just to accommodate the growth, man. It has been awesome to see what God has been doing in this community. Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. So um, we start a new series today um, in the letter of James. And, and what we're calling this series is transformative faith, doing the next best thing. And that's not doing the next best thing, meaning like the thing that's not as good. So choose the next best thing. It means doing the next best thing as in do the best thing that you know to do. And then when you finish that, do the next thing, best thing that you know to do and just continue on in that. And here's what James would say is that in this journey of faith, this journey of life, as we continue to grow in our faith, what it does is it transforms us. Our faith is transformative. It puts us into action. It causes us to move. And so continue to, to make those right choices. And as we take those steps, we grow in our faith. Now, before I jump into all the details, let me just start by saying this. One of the markers that I love of Community Life Church is how we handle scripture and how we teach. Um, Tammy, Kat, Kristen, they taught the last three weeks and, and they are case in point. The way that we take care of scripture and the way that we honor it is so important because I believe that our, and this is a blanket statement that can mean anything, but our Western theology, in many regards, when you take scripture out of context, you can make it say just about anything. And so, so often I run into folks and we're having conversations and, and they're experiencing such a troubling, broken time in life. And many times it comes from a misunderstanding of what scripture actually says, because scripture has not been handled appropriately. And, and I, I've got no slight against churches that do three-point topical sermons. That's great for churches. It's just not the way that we're going to handle scripture here. So what I love is to get in there, rightly divide scripture, and offer you a message that allows you to learn something about scripture that hopefully, if you understand it in context, you can wrestle into our context that will mean something to you today. But if not, you've learned something about your scriptural history. And as you continue to learn that, it builds a foundation of faith that means that you can go and you can read and you can rightly divide the word. And when somebody says something out of context and off point, you'll say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. And you'll anchor yourself back in scripture and you'll be able to understand it in a better way. Does that make sense? 
So I love teaching messages like this because we're going to do the work that it takes for you to see James clearly. And so all that said, I wanted to come up with an interesting way, a hook, if you will, for you to remember James. So here's this thought of James versus Paul, a tale of two teachers. Now, if you don't know anything about the faith, um, you're good. Welcome. We love you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight that might help you. Our New Testament is made up of a couple different types of writing, but large in part, it's made up of letters, letters that were written to specific groups of people or in general, and those letters we study because they're written by some of the great teachers during the time, and you can read those letters, and it offers us understanding of our faith today. So if we're going to say today, um, let's look at James versus Paul, a tale of two teachers, we're going to look at the letter that James wrote. But we're also going to consider Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's a teacher, who wrote um, so many letters in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, Galatians, that's one we're going to tackle in October. Um, And and their teaching style is so vastly different. And so here to give you something in context is a way that maybe you can remember these two teachers. So James, to me, reminds me of that teacher maybe early in college when classes were huge. You remember that? You go in and you're just in a sea of people and the teacher walks in, the professor walks in and they, they, remember briefcases, that was a thing. They come in and they set the briefcase down on the table. They don't even look at you and they start making these general statements like, before the end of this class, half of you are going to fail. Uh, A quarter of you are going to drop out of the class and the other quarter of you, see, I did pay attention to math. Um, I think that's the whole thing, um, are going to be glad to get a C. And then they grab their well, it depends on when you grew up. They grab their marker or their chalk or what's that thing that you crank up and down and it's got the projector thing? Overhead projector. Uh-huh. You're showing your age too. Um, and then they just start teaching and you get it or you don't get it. To me, that's, James falls kind of into that category. But when you compare him to Paul, Paul reminds me of one of my favorite teachers of all time. So I graduated from Fort Walton Beach High School, and one of my favorite teachers is Coach E.G. Green, God rest his soul, who was an algebra teacher, taught all sorts of things. But um, if you ever were struggling in algebra, you could go up and you're like, Coach Green, I really need some extra credit. And he's like, all right, everybody, let's go. And he rounded everybody up, and we'd head to the gym. And he'd let us shoot free throws for extra points. (laughs) Not a basketball player. Right, but it got me out of algebra, so we'd go down there and shoot. But here's the problem. If you missed your free throw, you had to run laps. So you may not have ever learned math, but you got exercise. And I think for him, that was a win. And we've all had teachers like that, right? Like they, they just wanted to engage you in the lessons of life. And Coach Green was that way. If you go read one of Paul's letters that he wrote, he will, he will address it to not just a group of people, but sometimes to an individual, He'll say, how are you doing? How are things? How's your mama? I heard this. I heard that. Um, and then he'll say, you know, there's this thing I heard about your community, what you're walking through. And then he'll yell at you a little bit, right? That's what Paul does. And he'll give you some theological understanding. And, but then he'll encourage you and uplift you. And then he'll say, you know what? I'm thinking about coming to visit. And then he'll say a prayer for you at the end. Very conversational, super awesome letters. That's Paul. James. James has 108 verses Exactly half of them, 54, are imperatives. Imagine talking to somebody who every other sentence tells you what to do. You guys have those teachers before? 
That's James. That's just how he teaches. Now, I'm not being fully fair, fair to him, but that kind of gives you a little bit of a thought. Now, next week, because we don't have time to do it this week, I'm going to dive into some of the theological differences or what biblical scholars believe are theological differences between Paul and James. And I just need to tell you that I think the variations are not fair on, on how they view faith versus works versus grace and how that comes together. And so we'll do some of that work next week. But I think just as a placeholder and as a hook, imagine those two teachers. And as we're talking about James, think of him as that first. And I think we all have had some sort of a setting where we understand James in that light. So if we're going to dive into this, this letter right off the bat, let me tell you what it is. It is a general epistle, the letter of James. An epistle is a, 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 an expensive word that means letter. That's all it means. So it's a general letter um, with, a, with a wide audience. And in our New Testament, we have seven of these, what, is no, what are known as general letters or general epistles. James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. They're just written to a wide swath of people. Although it may be a narrower group, it's not all of humanity, but it's, it's written to a wide swath of people. The topics are generally practical in nature. So lessons of faith, life lessons, um, they could be about trials and suffering, which are some of the things that we're going to deal with today, but, but they also deal with family relationships, um, the persecution that people are walking through, how you view life, how you view finances. Um, if you think the Jewish faith at the time and what they were struggling with, those, those general letters offered insight to your average person that was a believer that was walking through those moments. And so it was kind of in general versus Paul, who said, I heard you were struggling in this area. Let me teach you about that. These letters, these general letters, are more um, general in, in the way that they deal with the topics. Now, um, some of the key things to remember about James before we d dive into the scripture. The author of James is believed to be James. There you go, right? Um, but we know a lot of James in scripture. The author of James is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus, so just allow your mind to roll through that math quickly. Um, scripture teaches us that Mary and Joseph had more children after Jesus. Um, but here's the interesting thing you find in Scripture, is that John tells us that the brothers of Jesus did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah or the Son of God um, while he was still alive. So just humor me for a second. Imagine if you had an older brother or older sister who claimed to be the Son of God. Some of you have that exact scenario in your life, right? <laughs> Imagine what that'd be. It'd be so hard to believe that while they were living. After the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to his brothers, and they became believers. And so I asked you the question, what would it take for you to believe that your brother or sister was the son or the daughter, or the only begotten of the father? That, that is James' scenario. So he became a believer after the resurrection. James becomes a very key figure in the church of Jerusalem after Jesus' death. Many would call him the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. Um, and he wrote this letter sometime in 47 to 49, so late 40s, roughly 14 to 16 years after uh, Jesus had, had died and, and the resurrection had taken place. Um, some of the cool writings that you'll read, here's a big $1,000 word for you, the extra canonical writings. So historical writings outside of the Bible give us some insight to James. And they believe that James, the brother of Jesus, this is how they describe him, as someone whose knees were as hard as those of a camel. You're like, that's a really weird description. They thought of him as a person of prayer, that James was a person who prayed and prayed and prayed and spent a lot of his life 
um, just seeking God and praying. And so that was one of the attributes that was there. James was martyred in 62 AD, and he was martyred, and there's, there's split um, information on this, but many believe it's the same story, that he was thrown off of the temple wall, and, it did, and then some would say it didn't kill him, and so he was stoned or, or clubbed to death. But here's the powerful part about that. As he was dying, the last words that he spoke, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Isn't that powerful to see that James connection back to his, his brother? So um, another piece of information that I think is going to be foundational as we go through and we study this is that it is believed that the letter that James writes is the first New Testament document written. You say, why does that matter? There were no other, I'm sure there were other writings, but there were no other patterns for him to follow. So James writes in a way that would have made sense to him. So as a Jewish, deeply devoted, deeply well-studied person, he writes this letter of James as if you were reading an Old Testament document or a book of Proverbs, that there would be this statement or a Proverbs type thing that's made, and then you get six verses that speak directly to that proverb, and then the very next verse after, he just changes the subject. And so as I was studying over these last three painful weeks of not being on stage, I I couldn't figure out how to, there's no transitional phrases between any of these points. So what I did is I went through and I photocopied it because I'm a Gen Xer. I have to have paper in my hand. I photocopied every page and then I took and I cut it up and then I taped it to other papers so they would all be categorized by topic. Yep, y'all see the sickness. Welcome to the party. (laughs) And then I went and started writing notes because he's a hot mess. It's how he teaches It's just topic, oh yeah, you want to know something else? Let me tell you about this. What it honestly is, is it's 15 different sermons all collated into one general letter. Does that make better sense? It just wasn't really separate. It's like if you read the book of Proverbs, you get a really cool thought and then another really cool thought, another really cool thought. That's how James is laid out. So that is exactly what we're going to do when we look at this letter. I tried to group them together and we're going to look at them in in different categories and um, they're not, they don't fall one after another, but we're going to tackle them in a way that makes sense to the topic. And, and you may say, Scott, you're taking them out of context. No, I'm not. There is no context except the context that it was written in, but I mean the flow of the letter, right? Does that make sense? It's not written, whatever. Okay. I love y'all. Y'all are so awesome. So here's what we're going to do today. The topics we're going to deal with all kind of fall into the same category, trials, temptations, and suffering. So if today you're dealing with some tough stuff, welcome to the party. James has some instruction for you. Half of you are going to fail. Half, no, I'm kidding. Half of you are going to drop the class. <laughs> I don't mean that. There's some really good teaching, not from me, from James, in this message that we're going to hear today. But first, let me tackle James 1. This is the addressing of the letter. Now, remember we said most general epistles have a general addressing. This guy is crazy how he writes this. James writes in James chapter one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And you say, what are the 12 tribes in the dispersion? Now, if you dive back into our scriptural faith, you remember Joshua and Joshua fights all the battles. And when he gets done, they divide the land up into 12 tribes. You remember that? And that's all great, wonderful. But if you read on in the story in 721 BC, the Assyrians come in and they attack the northern tribes and they defeat them. 
And their form of attack wasn't they just defeated them and they subjugated them. They took them and they moved them. They moved them out. And so as a consequence of the Assyrians doing this, the tribes were dispersed. And many of the tribes, even to this day, they're lost because they were intermarried to all of these other parts of the world and they were just separated from their faith system. So James addresses his letter to a group of people that experienced this loss 750 years prior to this letter. And so biblical scholars are like, like they make all kinds of stuff up. Here's what I would say. I think James, the brother of Jesus, understands that Jesus is the Messiah and he's calling to the 12 original tribes as if to say, this message is for you. And he's calling them back home. Even though you've been dispersed, this is the message that brings you back home. Does that make a little bit of sense? So, so but honestly, they handed it out to the Jewish believers in Jesus. That's where the letter was spread out. But for James, that's who he was speaking to. He was calling the, Jew, the, the, the Jewish faith um, back to the belief in Jesus. And so now we jump into this first part of the message. Um, James chapter one, verses two through eight. And really, if you're gonna look at the proverb or the overarching thought, it's this. It's in the very first one. Whenever you face trials, consider them nothing but joy. So let me read it and we'll talk about it. Verse two, he says, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I want you just for a moment to think about what's going on inside of James' world. These people who have known the faith, they grew up in the faith, Jewish um, people who are devout um, Jews, Israelites, they become a believer in Jesus, and you'd think the whole world would become a believer in Jesus, but everything is upside down and backwards. People are persecuting them, they're fighting them all along the way, and they're facing these different trials. And so James, as a masterful teacher, does something through this entire letter. He challenges them to think of it differently. So a lot of the topics we're going to deal with, he, he gets them to try and consider it in a different way. That's where the topic of transformative faith comes from considering what you're walking through, and let's look at it as if there's not a bigger a story that's unfolding. So for him to say, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. So here they are walking through these difficult times. They're struggling. They're having a hard time. And he says, listen, I want you to reframe the way that you're looking at this trial and consider it joy because the reason that you're walking through it or the outcome, that's a better way, is going to mature you. It's going to cause you to grow. It's going to cause you to be stronger in your faith. And so shift the way that you think about it. Shift the way that you think about it. So, so consider it joy. One of the important things to mention here is that joy and happiness are not the same thing. So he's not saying to these people that the struggles that you're walking through, I want you to consider them to be the happiest moments of your life. That's not it. Joy is a spiritual fruit. He said, there's a moment where you can be in the midst of this great trial and still have joy. Consider it joy because it's going to bring about God's goodness inside of you. Now, he's reshaping the way that we look at trials. Look at what he does in verse five. He says, if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. Now, I can imagine during this time, they're confused about the trials they're walking through. Is God doing this to us? It feels like we're dying, people are being martyred, they're struggling. Does it look like God is out to get us? James says, no, 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 no. I want you to know that God is, God is for you. In fact, 
When you find yourself in the middle of the trial, ask God for wisdom who's willing to give it to you generously. So not only does he ask them to reshape and think about the trial different, reshape the way you think about God. That God is not someone who's trying to make you mess up. God is not trying to give you something that you can't handle. God wants you to have wisdom equal to the task. Be willing to ask him. That's a great message when you read that and you consider it. Verse six, here's where he starts to preach. This is that instructor I was telling you about. He says, but ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's like, but when you ask, why would you doubt God? Believe God. Like, you know better than this. So believe, have faith. That seems like more of a preacher than it does a teacher. He's just like, don't be wishy-washy. You believe in God, know that God is on your side and he wants you to experience this. That's kind of a proverb in its own nature, reshaping the idea of the way to look at trials. Does that, does that make sense? No? Okay, we're gonna move on. So first thought, that's the trial. Now, akin to that, now, now here, here, I'll, I'll give you an example. If you were to just read on from verse eight into verse nine, it, it's almost, he says, okay, he finishes the topic about trials. Let's talk about money. And he turns left and he goes and he talks about riches. There's no transitional phrase. There's nothing in there. So he, he talks, he teaches them about how to view finances and all that. We're going to drop down to verse 12 in chapter one, where he's going to talk about the temptations of life. He says, blessed is anyone who endures temptation. That's the proverb. So if you're enduring temptation, know that you are blessed. And he gives us some understanding of that. Such a one has stood the test and received the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, no one when tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and that sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Now I just want you to think about this for a second because we share some of this narrative. It's easy to think that that um, you wake up in the morning and you, you walk into the kitchen and you see a donut on the counter and you're like, oh, God put that donut there to tempt me. <laughs> no, your wife put that there to tempt you, right? Like she wants to see if you're gonna stay away from the sugar. It's interesting how we sometimes give God credit for the things that we are not even willing to be self-reflective of. Amen. Now, here's where I got into a struggle this morning is the word trial and the word temptation in the Greek are the same word. So it's easy for us. We're like, no, no, no. God puts us through trials, but he doesn't put us through temptations. There's a variation in the way that the word is, is considered that causes us to see these two challenges differently. A trial, which is external, that you can't really, um, that you really have nothing to say about, maybe a diagnosis or losing a job or walking through that trial versus Temptation, which we just read in scripture, is something that is, is caused from our own desires inside of us, our own humanity that draws us towards a place that gets us into an inordinate way, a thing that is not in keeping with what God would want for our lives, but because of our human nature and we've not mastered it and we are not working with self-control, we ourselves go into a way. It's not fair to say, God did this to me. God's like, you did it to yourself, right? And here's how I can show you. Because listen to the next verse. It sounds so odd and so weird. Verse 17. He says, Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, I want you to know to rethink the way that you th consider God. 
God is not trying to trip you up and throw you in hell. God is trying to give you good things. God wants you to be blessed. He is for you. He wants you to be successful. So all of those generous things that are coming, God wants you to fight those battles because what he has for you is better than what you're seeking after yourself out of your own evil desires. And when you see the picture full circle, it comes together in verse 18. He says, in fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of, of his creatures. Now that sounds so weird, but, but I'll explain it in this way. If you think to the children of Israel, um, you, you might have two different thoughts on them. One is this, that God chose them exclusive of the rest of the world to be their people. And some people believe that. Or you may believe what I believe is that God chose them, yes, special, set apart, but he chose them so that when they lived into his will and his design, that God would be revealed to the rest of the world. And so when people looked at Israel, they would see the God that loved them and has good things for them. And so what James is doing is he's picking up on that narrative and he's saying in fulfillment of that promise, when we fight those evil desires and we don't give in to that sin, then we live in a different way so that when all of society looks at us, we would be some of those first fruits, if you will, of creation that you can look at and you can say, there's something different about those people, that they represent something different. We're not perfect in all of that, but hopefully it's at least a representation or a reflection of the God that loves us. So fighting those battles matter. And so what James is doing is he's reshaping their mindset around why we do this, why we fight those battles. It's us that are getting ourselves in trouble. God's not the one that's trying to throw us into and trying to trip us up. God is for us, which then ultimately and quickly leads us to the last one that we're looking at, which is in chapter five. Just another thought on suffering. And so if you've been suffering, dealing with some hard times, and, and, and after the service, last service, there are a lot of people that come forward and they're like, mm-hmm then this might make some sense to you. It's almost as if James takes a step back and he looks at the whole of the story and tries to offer us a different perspective. Verse seven of chapter five, he says, here's here's the, the proverb, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So be patient, therefore, my beloved, until the coming of the Lord. So we're all getting weary. We're all tired. We're struggling through this. We're trying to find our way. We're trying to see trials different. We're trying to fight against the temptations and it's so hard to be patient. Then he gives us a farming analogy. He says, the farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. In other words, there's a harvest that God is waiting for, right? Our time frame, our frustration, our lack of patience, God has a bigger story that's unfolding and we need to know that that there is one that is just, there is one that is sovereign that's allowing this to unfold. Now I'll give you a little um, sample of my life talking about farmers. Um, last week, while the Blue Angels were flying over, um, uh, Tammy's cousins from Oklahoma decided that it would be the perfect weekend, they didn't call and ask us what was going on in the town that week, to do a beach wedding. <laughs> and so we did a beach wedding on Friday of Blue Angel weekend. And, um, and so there was one point where it was 10,000 degrees, and um, I was sitting underneath one of these pavilions And I could not understand the conversation that was going on. Not because I couldn't understand the English, but they were talking about rain and farming. And um, and at some point, it was explained to me that when you put 
wheat. Wheat into the ground. If the rains early are good, then the harvest starts to come up and then you can take your cattle and you can graze them in the wheat because the wheat is strong and therefore you don't have to spend the money on the feed. The wheat is actually better for them for gaining wheat weight. And then you can move the cattle back out of pasture. And if the late rains come when they're supposed to, the wheat will recover and you will get a double hit because now the cows are fatter and the wheat's better and everything's all good. And I'm looking outside and it is lightning and raining. I'm like, can you take any of this to Oklahoma? Like, get it out of here. But here he's giving them a farming analogy and they would have understood as they were struggling and thinking about what was going on. Verse eight, he says, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. And this all has to do with the timing and expecting that God is gonna return. He says, beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. So, so it, the time is coming close. He said, as an example, and he gives them an example of something that they would say in their faith. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so he just taps into their faith. And he says, you know, when you're sitting around and you're talking about your faith and the struggles you're walking through, the people that you edify and that you most esteem are those who walk through some of the most difficult challenges in life. And then through those difficult challenges, it forged them and brought them to a place that, that some of them were prophets and they wrote scripture, thinking about Job and how God credited him as righteousness, what he walked through. And so what James is saying is, is those are the ones that we give credit to. So why would it be any different for us in our lives? And he encourages us to be long suffering in the things that we're walking through that there's a purpose and a design and there's a sovereign God who's leading it all. And we trust and we believe and we know the greater story. And so he offers us that truth. Everybody good? So what does this have to do with us? I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. I do have an idea. You, you may say, Scott, those three topics, that don't seem to make any sense. If you go look at the context of what, what James church and the people were walking through at the time. It's pretty rough. Um, and he offers them teaching to bring clarity. So as I said, um, they were facing persecution on all fronts. Now, to be Jewish, you would have been persecuted by all the other countries that were around you, including Rome. But to be a Jewish believer in Jesus means that you are not only persecuted by all of those folks, now you are being persecuted by the Jews as well. And so what started happening in these early believers' faith is that they started to kick them out of the synagogues. They would no longer hire them. They would not take care of the widows and orphans. Um, they were going through some very serious, serious challenges. And so they were left torn apart, wondering, what does this mean about God? Has God abandoned us? Why don't people see and understand this Jesus? I mean, we saw him standing in front of us after we saw them kill him. So how does it make sense? Right? And so he was giving them instruction to understand it. And here's what I would say to you, is that the context that he wrote it to, you could have absolutely just written that to the United States in this time, in this place, actually the world, and what we're walking through. Because our faith systems have not taught us well the truth and the understanding about God and what's a trial, what's a temptation, how do we understand what God is doing? I mean, we're so quick to blame everybody on the planet for everything that's going on. And usually the last thing we do is to look internal and consider ourselves as part of the problem, right? We blame the left, we blame the right, we blame this church, we blame that church, we blame whatever. We blame God, we blame, blame the devil, we go down this whole process. And here's what I want you to know, the teaching that, here, that is here is so sound. 
to realize that what you're walking through that may be considered a trial, something not based in temptation, uh, maybe a medical diagnosis, maybe you're caring for someone in your family that's struggling, maybe you've lost a job, maybe whatever that looks like, things that you could not do anything about, that if we can take and we can try and consider it in a different way and say, God, okay, you didn't do this, but you are for me and you wanna give me the wisdom and insight as to how to walk through this. And so let me get on the front side of this, that there is a lesson you're trying to teach me, so let's go. Can we all agree that if we could maybe get to that mindset, it would help us to walk through those things we're facing? That's what he's doing. He's giving us a different way to consider and a different way to think while also shaping it to our understanding where we realize a God that is for us, a God that wants to give us wisdom, wants to give us insight, just have to be willing to ask. So that's in terms of those trials. How about in terms of, of the temptations, right? I mean, so many people are like, oh, the devil made me do it. No, no, he didn't. The devil is down in the Bahamas enjoying a vacation, right? We do it to ourselves so often. And I'm not trying to take the devil away from you if that's in your faith system, but I'm gonna tell you in James' letter, he doesn't talk about the devil, he talks about evil. And he talks about our own carnal nature and the battle that's within us that, that gets enticed by something and then it starts to breed seeds and then it starts to take root and then ultimately it brings destruction in our lives. It's understanding and working the process of discovering self-control in our life, which is by working through the fruit of the spirit. That's Galatians. We'll talk about that in October. We should start to consider ourselves all of this transformative thinking is bringing us to a place to, to understand God in better light and then to understand the transformation that God is asking us to consider in our own lives in terms of, of transformation, um, temptation. And then as just a bonus, when we go through that, it's the purpose, right? When we talk about at this church connecting people to Jesus, you know the best way to connect people to Jesus is by allowing Jesus to transform your life. Because when somebody sees you walking through the worst trial or the worst temptation of your life and you fight it and you walk through, not perfect, but you walk through it and you hold God in high esteem through the whole thing, it's the best way to connect someone to Jesus because they do not have that insight in this world. It's like every man, every woman for themselves. And that's James teaching us a better way. And then finally, the long suffering of the greater story. Ah, you know, my, I didn't say this in the first service, but my, my father who's sitting on the second row here, he used to say something to me and it broke my brain one time. He said, you know, Scott, he's, and, and, and this was in a conversation um, about our kids. He said, my, your mother and I, we're going to do everything we can so that, so that our grandkids know us and they know as much as they can about us. He said, but the truth is, after them, their kids, their kids, he says, it's going to be so easy. We'll probably be forgotten. And you know, that, out of the backside of that conversation, my father then starts to talk to me about the greater story that's unfolding around us. And what a better gift to give to your children or the people around you than the greater story that connects us and allows us all to be a part of something that goes beyond just our story. Yes, they can remember the things that were unique to us, but so much more important to, to connect them to Jesus who offers eternity and hope past this broken life. Amen? And so as we close out this thought, I, I try to imagine the brother of Jesus, James, who probably looked upon those early years of his life when he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was and probably wishes he could have some of those back but it didn't stop him from going full all in after that and letting people know about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in their lives. And I want to tell you about it today because the truth, if you want me to shape your understanding about God, is that God is not waiting to throw you in hell. God is right now today offering you hope and freedom for God so loved the world that he gave. 
He gave us an opportunity to connect our hearts to something that goes beyond the brokenness that we experience here today. And you can take a moment and just say, God, I'm not exactly sure I know what that means, but I want to open up my heart today and be connected to that greater story by believing that God loves you and that he sent his son Jesus for you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I know that in this this place and on this stage and as we break down the scripture, Lord, I'm not perfect in the words that I say and and, and all of the, maybe even the study that that we're a part of, but God, here's the powerful truth is that you didn't ask us to be perfect. You asked us to be obedient. It's your Holy Spirit that's perfect. Lord, and you can take the words that have been presented and you can use those words to minister to hearts. And Lord, whether people have been serving you their whole lives and they're in the fight of their life or whether there is someone today that will open up their heart for the very first time, I pray that you would be God, that you would love us well, that you would help us to defeat those temptations that have sidetracked us our whole lives and that you would help us to move in a direction that a broken world can look at us and see something better. See something that represents the God that loves them, that created them, that wants them to be a part of the greater story. God, help us to get to that place. And it all starts with your son, Jesus, the lover of our soul. God, we love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now I invite you, if you will, to stand. And Kyle and Sarah, they're going to lead us in a hymn that is going to speak to many of your hearts And I encourage you to sing along with them. Addie's down front. If you'd like for prayer, I'll be on this side. I'd love to pray with you today. The altars are open. Just allow God to speak to your heart here at the end of the service. Well
We're so thankful that you would gather with us today uh, to be able to celebrate uh, and find joy. As Scott mentioned, many of us are going through trials and struggles, through temptations, but it is so reassuring to know that we are not alone in those, that there's a God who loves you and is walking right alongside you through that, and there's a church who loves you. It's so, so powerful as a statement for all of us to be together, to support each other, to love each other, and to take what we do here out into the streets out there. If you feel like you're disconnected, maybe you're in the military, maybe you're traveling, you feel like you're part of that diaspora, maybe you're watching online and you are scattered to the winds, know that there's a community and a God who loves you as well. If you're new with us, is this your first time, you'd like to find out how to get connected, we'd love to get you connected in our next steps room right out in the lobby after the service. But for now, let's pray before we leave. God, we love you. And we're going to start with that. We love you. And we know that you love us. God, through the trials and the temptations, through the struggles and all those things that life seems to throw at us, God, you are bigger and you're able to do something about it. You're able to give us that strength because you love us. So God, I pray that uh, whatever struggles or trials, temptations or things we're walking through right now, help us to find the joy that only comes through your spirit that offers us peace in those moments. Help our testimony of faith through our actions and how we navigate life's most difficult seas uh, just be a word of inspiration and connection to the, the hurting world around us. That when we struggle, we would do so differently and that others would see the love of your son, Jesus, through us. We thank you and we know you're gonna be with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a wonderful week.